Good evening and welcome to At Jim Bobcast. It's episode 17. I'm Jim. I'm Bob. And this week we've got Frank. Anyway, um, to do a little bit of housekeeping, Bob, just before we introduce our illustrious new guest, far away. Yeah. Look, last week on last week's podcast, I quoted a statement that was attributed to the former Premier League referee, Mike Hulsey, uh, that I later found out to have been incorrect and completely hoaxed upon the, the Twitter median. Uh, back at the time, it was shown to be untrue. And I just apologise for saying uh, or quoting an untrue tweet. Uh, and for any harm or damage it's caused to anyone, you know, uh, slap myself on the wrist and I will honestly research before I speak in future. Anyway, absolutely. Well done, sir, for clearing that up. Um, Twitter has uh, blown up again today for um, another Arsenal-related event, so we'll uh, no doubt get onto that one later. But with all points of view, the goat of the goats, Frankie, how are you, sir? I'm very good. Thanks for having me on, guys. I know we've uh, we've been trying to make this work for a while, so it's, it's good to finally be on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking forward to having you. So before we crack on a little, we will just ask a couple of questions of our guests, just because we're interested as well. So <laughs> what drew you to being an Arsenal fan? When did it happen? How old were you? Well, I mean, I imagine what, uh, similar to, to most people that listen to this and to you guys, I, I mean, I didn't really have much of a choice. My, my, my family aren't long-term Arsenal fans. You know, it's not something that's, I'm not from North London. But we, but, you know, so I'm from West London. But we, as as I was growing up, my my brother was an Arsenal fan. My dad's an Arsenal fan, and you know, as a baby, just get shoved an Arsenal shirt on you. Um, and then from there, I guess you, you know, when you when you're old enough to make a decision, you can go two ways. But if you like football enough, you don't really make make a change. So, um, Absolutely, it's a family affair, and uh, often <laughs> it's so bloody emotional, isn't it? That you just like, it's just this one of them things that you just live and die by the sort of with your family. So, um, yeah, very, uh, very similar to me. Bob comes from a West Ham household, so he just likes yeah, fighting. Once you make that decision. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's a lot of football clubs, for, you know, where I'm from, like, you know, Fulham down the road, QPR down the road, Brentford, but it's still good to be, to, to spot on the team. And I think once you, once you do make that choice and once you do, you know, get to a game, and once you do really have that affinity with the team, it's just impossible to even think another universe is possible. Yeah. yeah I mean, I totally the first agree. time I, I started supporting Arsenal because I wanted a football shirt. And I, I went into the, I went to Valentine's Sports in Malsey, near Bran. And there was three shirts in there, a Chelsea shirt, a Millwall shirt, Oof. and an Arsenal shirt. And I was just told by my dad, who's a West Ham fan, well, you've got to have that one because I'm not letting you come home if you uh, pick the other two. So there, there I started with Arsenal and I've never looked back again. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Favourite player of all time, Frank? Um, now, I, to be honest, I'd probably say, I mean, as a kid, it was probably Thierry Henry growing up and, you know, the Invincibles team, sort of the, the, the double winning team as well. Um, but also Robert Perez has always been someone I've, I've just loved and fortunately got the chance to meet um, a few years ago actually at the Emirates and it was yeah it's brilliant like I just think for me like you, you, everyone talks about Omri Burkamp's genius is talked about a lot but you've got Robert Perez there someone who was you know if he, if he played now he'd be someone I think who would easily score 25-30 goals the way wingers are positioned now and 
Um, you know, you you looked at the the top scorers in the Premier League every year. You'd have Jeremy would get you twenty five thirty, but then Perez would chip in with fifteen to twenty league goals. And yeah, you know, I think a criminally underrated player long term. Totes, Bobby Perez, yeah. what a legend! Yeah, I actually really agree with that. He and and he he was actually so much better at giving assists than people gave him credit mm. for as well. He was a silky silky footballer, Bobby Perez. Sure. Right, okay, well, look, and that come, brings me on to our final question, which is going to lead us into reviewing the Villa game, um, which I'm sure people are always keen for us to hear about. If everyone is fit, you've got a completely fully fit squad. What is your best 11 at Arsenal? That's a good question. I think you obviously start Leno. Now, I mean, are we assuming loan players are back or are they still? Uh, if, you, if you had everybody fit for Saturday, every single okay, person. Okay, fine. Yeah? Oh, look, let's go Leno in goal. I think, unfortunately, you have to start Bellerin. Um, oh. And then you start Tierney at left-back. And you probably play, at the moment, you probably play Rob Holding and Gabriel at centre-back. Then in midfield, I would play Thomas Party. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you have to say Granit Xhaka, which is not probably not the best idea, but you have to say that. Uh, if, if if we could bring loan players back, I'd probably start Guendouzi. Um, and then... I'd play Emil Smith Rowe. You know what? Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave Smith Rowe out for now. I'm gonna play Saka in a more attacking midfield position because I think he can play anywhere. I'm gonna play Pepe on the right. I'll play Ma- uh, Martinelli on the left, and then I'll play Aubameyang up front. Nice, okay. So Lacazette's played well this season, but I think long term, not maybe not long term because of Aubameyang's age, but but I think Martinelli and Pepe as the wingers with Aubameyang up front. That provides us our best chance to be a really, really good side. So you've you've gone for Gabriel and Holding over Mary, which I'm a little shocked about. Yeah, you know, that's I am probably as well. one of one of the one of your decisions. I'm probably more shocked about that than you bringing back Guendouzi, if I'm completely honest. I like Guendouzi. <laughs> I, I, the thing is, I I like Guendouzi. I think he. Um, no, I think he's got. I think. I think there's. I think the bloke's got so much promise. Mm. You know, if he if he polishes attitude, I, again, you know, I probably, you know, you've got Saliba that could play at the back. His ball skills apparently are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you, has he? I guess the the thing with Saliba is like it's clear he needs a bit more time. Like centre backs typically won't come straight in and. I mean, I can't think of another centre back of his age. Well, I, I can, I can actually really only, think, I, I can actually only think of one Frank who did it at his age, and that was Tony Adams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, football's a lot different now, right? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but, but I can't think get. of another under twenty year old who who had the impact that Arsenal require on the league, other than other than Tony. No, I mean, sure. you don't get players like that. For you know, I think the only player since Tony Adams that could be touted, and I don't even know how old he was, was John Terry. You know, he come from played a long time, started off as a youngster, but even he wasn't. Like, he went out alone as well, didn't he? Alone, yeah. To start with um, David O'Leary but, before Adams, but yeah, you're talking far few players. And and I'm actually the thing I'm most surprised about, and probably most hurt by is is you picking Bellerin. I think he's had a dreadful season. I mean. Uh, look, I think I think he's in, especially in the last few weeks he's been bad, but I do think he offers something to this team. Like when he when he's playing well, um, like I, I think back to the FA Cup final, I thought he had a really really good game um, involved in the winner that day as well. And I, and I do think he gets in good positions. He probably just lets it. You know, if he, if he was just a bit, <laughs> it sounds 
bad because he's a professional footballer, but if he was just a bit better of a footballer. I know everyone goes on about his pace all the time, but for me, if like his final, if his his, his actual technique was better, it'd be a it'd be a really quality quality fullback. Well, I think well, in I earlier think... in his career, his pace probably allowed him to get away with not being the best footballer. Well, I think actually that exactly what you've just said is exactly what Bob and I have said on a few occasions, haven't we, Bob, on the pod, which has been it's it's never about his athleticism. He's one of the finest athletes in the football club, but technically he just seems to be below the standard required to play in this division. And he's had more than enough time now, I think, to cut his teeth, to, to get to the required level. He just doesn't seem to operate on the football he just looks stiff on the ball if I'm being honest and who, are you, who are you playing over him? I think Cedric's a really 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 good centre, um, good fullback um, he, he doesn't have the yard of pace but I think he's significantly better on the ball with the final third because, and that's so important for a fullback in modern football now I think um, he's positionally more aware uh, I like how Cedric's been playing when he's played at right back but then in the same thing you, you, you are right you know Bellerin has had some phenomenal games for Arsenal. And interestingly enough, Bellerin's good games have outshone Cedric's good games. But as I said last week, his standard setting at the moment, Bellerin, is poor. You know, we'll talk about there. I thought he was poor at the weekend. I thought he was running around like a little girl. You know, and that's no disrespect to girls playing football. You know, they're actually better than him, some of the Arsenal ladies at the moment. <laughs> I just thought, I honestly thought he was running around almost Willian-esque. But, you know... <laughs> Is Cedric much better than him? I think on current form, I don't know. You know, Cedric's been playing left back for a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, Ced- I mean, Cedric couldn't even get the Southampton team, so I think that tells you a lot about the quality of him. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I think we, it's a position we definitely need to to look at. Um, I, I mean, I personally would have kept Ainsley Maitland-Niles, and yeah. if he if he committed if he committed himself to playing that position, which doesn't look like he wants to do, but if he wanted to, he could have really. Uh, applied himself and been a been a long term starter. It's a real shame for me because you look at you look at someone like and he's not had a good season, but you look at someone like Trent Alexander Arnold. I'm not yeah. saying he Maitland Niles is as good as Trent, but he, Trent's a central midfielder by trade naturally, mm-hmm. but applied himself to play fullback and has become one of the best fullbacks in the world. You know, it's a shame that Maitland Niles seems to just want to play in central midfield. And, and I actually and think him. yeah, and I actually agree with you that it, it it's a very good chance that. At the top echelon, it'd be the downfall of his professional career if he doesn't mm-hmm. sit down and think about it because he is a, a much better fullback, wing back than he is central midfielder at the moment. I mean, he I couldn't get think, in, he couldn't get in the Ipswich side as a midfielder, you know, when he went out on loan there. So I also think with Maitland and Niles is he's got to realise if he wants to play international football, it's one of the reasons why he's left. If you look at the England midfield scenario, good luck getting into that. You're not going to get in it playing for West Brom are you you need to be you've got to pick a position and try and do it Is he got a chance to challenge and push and make himself the understudy to Trent Alexander-Arnold yes he definitely has you know I talked about Saka you know when he moved to the right wing and how well he's played about fact he's moved from the left wing back role to that role will probably hamper his England desires because of the abundance of quality England have got in that area, you know, does he beat Sterling to the position? Does he beat Foden? Does he beat all these other Grealish and players like that into the team? He probably doesn't sacker at the moment. So moving and becoming a successful, brilliant right winger or attacker midfielder could, in the short term, certainly hamper his international aspirations. 
Agreed. And, you know, it's, I mean, he's probably unlucky in the fact that the other position he can play in right back is probably England's strongest position outside of that. You know, you've yeah. got Trent, you've got Wambasaka, uh, Tarek Lamptey, you've got Kieran Trippier still playing well. And um, mm. like there's, there's, there's four, five, six. Uh, right, I mean, Carl Walker Peters is having a good season. Like, well, I was going to say know, that as well. Well, it's not, it's not popular, but is he someone I def? If, if there's no buyback clause, I would swallow your pride and, and go and buy a Spurs player and go and go and take Carl Walker Peters from Southampton in the summer potentially. Yep, that's a very interesting chat. We'll do a little bit of um, of what a Frankie transfer window looks like <laughs> at the end of the show, actually, so, which I'm quite looking forward to. Probably so, bad. <laughs> uh, well, the rest of your the rest of your team, I find very interesting. I like the blend of experience and youth. I think I'm a Pepe in. I'm assuming if you've got everyone fit and you've picked him, you see something in him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's coming to his own. I actually think he's played well on the left, which is I didn't mm. I didn't I didn't think that was what he had in his in his locker, but. Look, he he's he's been probably outside of Saka our best player in the last few games. Um, he's actually got a bit of drive about him, and for me as a fan, like especially in the last few months pre Christmas, maybe like we've been one of the worst teams to watch, and it's it's been the worst Arsenal side to watch in my lifetime. Um, mm-hmm. And Agreed. Pepe's someone who actually goes for it, and he can make a difference. He he can produce something special. You get a lot of bad with that, but. Getting players that can actually win you a game on the pitch is really important. So I think I think Arsenal would be you know stupid not to try and at least claw back some of that that value when they by playing him and not not sitting him on the bench. You know what's really interesting about the point you make. A really good mate of mine, Wes, is a Liverpool fan, and the point you've just made, he makes it about Salah more often than not. When I ever stop and talk to him about, I was like, fucking hell, Salah is in some form. And he says, mate, he's horrible to watch, though, if you're a Liverpool mm. fan, 90 minutes, like, week in, week out, because he loses the ball as often as he does marvellous things. I think it's just it's just about tipping the balance where there's enough, there's as many marvellous things across the course of a season as there are kind of poor games. And I don't think Pepe's got millions of miles to go. You know, it, it, it's inches here and there at the moment, you know, when he's kind of... Because I was saying to Bob... What's interesting about his almost 30 goal contributions for Arsenal in his first two seasons is all of them are pretty much self-made. You know, the only goal he's had on a plate for him really was the couple of penalties and then the Xhaka ball at Southampton. Well, he still had a lot to do. It's the first time we've given Pepe the ball in a kind of Lille-styled situation that we bought him from where he's got the ball in the pocket through the line and he's got a clear attempt on goal. Other than that, he scored quite a lot of wonder goals, really, where he's beating two, three, four men or scoring from outside the box. Well, he scored a he scored a really good goal against Sheffield United, which which yeah. um oh, that was at least what I thought we were gonna be doing a lot for him. And I know I imagine we're gonna talk about it at some point, but you thought someone and I, I you know, we'll get onto it later, but you thought someone like Urza would really benefit from someone like Pepe and vice versa. The dynamic with Urzel, Pepe Bamiang, Saka, and with partying behind them is, is something we'll never get to see. And I think it's a shame because party would probably be one of the players that Ozil cried out for the most, oh, as well as the players like your Saka and your Pepe as well. I, I just think well, he's only actually he's only actually played thirteen times with Aubameyang since we signed a proper number nine for him. But we have got a little bit in the show towards the end about asking you about Urza win or out, Frank. So I reckon we bring yeah, this conversation up then. Let's oh. do what we don't want to do and review this Villa game, Bob. Well, it was our tenth loss of the season. 
we lost our tenth game in in February. Ridiculous. Uh, I it was it was probably one of the worst games I've seen Arsenal play. Certainly this year, it was definitely the worst game I've seen Arsenal play this year. It was very disappointing. We never looked in it. You know, we just were. It was a poor performance from back to front. You know, I'll exclude Matt Ryan making his debut after probably next to no training during the week. The rest of it just didn't work out for us. You know, we conceded within, what, two minutes? That goal was was as soft as, as I say, as soft as morning eggs. You know, your eggs were probably harder than that when you had your, your breakfast, not, not 25 minutes before. Yeah. Oh, James. That goal went in and I thought, it's just like watching Southampton. It was a deja vu moment. And... Yeah, I mean, you said it rightly, James, didn't you? I mean, you saw the goal and, and you think they're both to blame. However, perhaps we maybe we shoulder too much of the blame at Cedric's door. I thought Cedric was probably two foot short of his pass to Gabriel. I mean, it wasn't like a complete hospital pass. It was when, talk, you know, seeing as we talked about Adams earlier, the sort of pass where Adams will go and think fuck and go and clatter the man and the ball and just clean clean up a mess a little bit and then give his left back a bit of a bollocking and say, come on, get your head in the game. But Gabriel had every opportunity to go and prevent, the, certainly had every opportunity to prevent the guy then getting hold of the ball, screening him, going round him and getting a ball, a ball into the box. And then Holding and Bellerin again for me, not touch tight. And I think Holding's had three poor games then in a row now where he's been caught out positionally quite a lot and he's not a pacey centre-back so his positioning has to be absolutely on the money and it's his positioning's that bad that obviously the guy's got a shot off which is weak and it's it's hit-holding blocking Ryan's view and just kind of scribbles into the goal it's a Sunday league goal um, yeah, I mean it was it was I thought it was you know other than it being an own goal it was so similar to that Southampton goal you know, all the time, whenever I see Arsenal play at 12.30 and, and 12.30 on BT, funnily enough, I always, and there's nothing against BT Sport, it just so happens it used to be this way. Whenever I see us play at that 12.30 kickoff, I always just think we're going to lose. It's almost like we don't like waking up in the morning. We, <laughs> we never start well on these 12.30 kickoffs. Never, ever. What do you make you of like, that goal, Frank? I think it was, uh, you play a side like Aston Villa, who... I think we've surprised a few, I mean, they surprised me and they surprised a lot of us. They should have probably gone down last season if it wasn't for that joke of a goal line decision. And and they come out this season, they're a really good side. So I don't want to, like, I, I text Jim about this, but for me, you look at how the season played, say, what, we're 20, 19, 20 games in, or maybe a few more, and you look at the Arsenal side, you look at the Villa side, I think this game played out exactly how it should have, really. Like, it was very tight. Uh, I don't think either side was brilliant. Villa... Got away with a lot of um, you know strong tackles on 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 our players and our players didn't respond to that. You know you, you need to respond when you're when you're given those tests. And then Ollie Watkins gets that goal really early. I mean I actually hadn't even turned on the TV by that point. I was just coming back from from a morning walk and I get in and we're one 0 down. And then I see the goal back and it yeah I mean it's it's it's, it's dreadful. You know Arsenal didn't want to sign Ollie Watkins or, or you know. For more reports, I, I I heard they 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 do like the player, and and it's come back to bite them twice now. You know, at first at the Emirates, now at Villa Park, and and for me, like you look at the difference in someone like Lacazette when it comes to the mobility, and 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 although Lacazette's had a good season, like Ollie Watkins just looks like he'd start for Arsenal, and you know you look around the pitch. Tyrone Mings looks like he'd start for Arsenal. Jack Grealish would be Arsenal's best player. Emmy Martinez on the day would have started for Arsenal. They've just 
Like you look at Arsenal and Aston Villa, and I, I'm, I'm sorry this is the situation, but I think they're as good as Arsenal. Like the result didn't shock me. I think, I think enough, though, look, looking at the stats, Arsenal had 66% of the possession, Villa obviously 34, Villa 12 shots on goal, Arsenal 14. This is this is an alarming stat. Villa eight shots on target to Arsenal's three. Mm-hmm. Huge. Arsenal seven corners to Villa's three. Villa one offside to our zero offsides. That's interesting. We didn't have an offside in previous games. We've had several offsides. You know, we struggled to to contain that. But yeah, on the whole, Villa had three yellow cards. We'll come on to the fact that they've only had three in a second. And and that's it. You know, they beat us one nil in a very tight game. I think it just says what like just says where these two sides are at. Like we're I, I mean, I'd love Arsenal to be better to be better, but I think anyone from like from like third down to you know fifteenth really can be anyone at the moment. Like I, I don't think there's a single result that shocks me anymore. Like you know you you see if Brighton go and beat Spurs, which they did the other day, like that doesn't surprise me. But then beat Liverpool. Well, exactly. I just I you know I I think Arsenal are just in are just an average team at the moment, mm-hmm. and and Villa are Villa had a had got that early goal, and it's really tough to come back from that now. Is that good enough for Arsenal Football Club? Obviously not. And, you know, it's going to take a while to, I think, to repair that. But yeah, I mean, I I wasn't shocked at all. And it's, I mean, it's probably more alarming that we weren't shocked. But yeah, the way these two teams are at the moment, Villa are set up in a, you know, they they know what their manager wants. You know, they pressed us incredibly high, high, much higher than I thought. They were incredibly aggressive. And I, I like to think of myself as someone who doesn't really look at football like this. But it did seem like they wanted it more. I think I think saying a team wants it more is an incredibly lazy way to analyse football. But they did. Like that they were so aggressive from that first whistle. It paid off with the goal and it paid off after that. The goal gave them a boost and they were just on Arsenal's coattails every second in that first half. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Frankie. They were doubling up on Pepe, you know, literally haranguing uh Saka on both of the wings, which was, you know, really intense of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I, I, I tweeted that at the time. Like Saka got absolutely targeted, and I, it felt like it, it came from uh, the manager really because they there was yeah each each player would take a different turn at fouling him. There's two things that you've mentioned there that I kind of want to come back to because we we talk about a little bit about Arteta. One is about how aggressive Aston Villa were, and secondly about the fact that Arsenal are an average team. But there are two points I just want to note when we um, when we finish the review of this game off because. Because fundamentally on the first point, you know, Arsenal should have known that from the way Villa bashed us at the Emirates, to be honest, that they shouldn't have expected anything any different. And if they did, it's naive to think that they were going to come and play us in a different way because they smashed us so bad. Why would they not try and replicate that performance? And we are an average team at the moment with below average results, but you'd argue that we've got above average players. So uh, the math doesn't work for me. Depends where you look though, right? Like, There's a lot of average players in this squad, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get onto it. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, look, let's just let's just finish this game off. I mean, we were 1-0 down and like you said, Bob, chasing our coattails and, and it allowed for Villa to structure themselves in the game to try and get us on the counter and not concede. But it wasn't without some contention, which was... Um, well, the main, I guess, the two biggies that everyone's got the, on the end of their tongue is the incident with Saka um, when he gets in behind goal and he's pulled down, and then the Lacazette one. I, for one, I just give you my opinion. I actually don't think that the one on Saka is a red card. I, I think that's just a bit of an agenda thing from Arsenal fans at the moment because we are getting on the wrong end of 
some bad decisions, but he is so far out and has got so much ground to cover. Yeah, and then the Lacazette one, I think Stonewall. Dermot Gallagher, interestingly, suggested that it could be possible that the whole Saka incident could have been a foul by Saka on the opposition player, uh, which is interesting. Yeah, I think looking at that, he has a lot to do. I agree with you, James. It was a tight decision, but again, I don't... I want consistency and there's been moments where Arsenal have had players in a similar situation. Other teams have had players in a similar situation and that would have been a red card. If that was Louise on Ollie Watkins, I'm guaranteeing you it's a red. Yeah, I said that at the time. It's hard, it's, it's hard to see if Louise made that tackle that he wouldn't be sent off. I'd be very surprised. And, and that's wrong, isn't it? That's essentially wrong. And that also alludes to the fact then that the both of you think that the match day officials have an agenda against Arsenal. I uh, see. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't stretch to that. I don't I, I don't think it uh, for me it, the whole like for the last couple of weeks I feel like Arsenal fans are turning into a bit it's quite tin hat brigade at the moment. Like I don't think there's an agenda against Arsenal Football Club, but. I do think that referees just naturally from being human beings referee matches differently like I imagine under Fergie when when referees uh, referee Manchester United games they did feel somewhat intimidated Arsenal Wenger's obviously team there's, there's a narrative that's been pushed that you can go and kick Arsenal um, and that led in my opinion to people like Eduardo breaking their leg etc now at the moment I don't I, I just think that officials are so bad they just keep getting are decisions wrong, but they're getting loads wrong. I, I just I don't think it is a, a team thing. Like I imagine this will turn in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna get a really bad decision in our favour, and I think fans will, will forget about it. Well, interestingly enough, if you look at the Villa the last game, I mean we went against the the VAR officials for the Lacazette goal against Leicester, yet Villa the following week have an almost identical scenario where we got the goal disallowed in our favour. I mean, that said, that doesn't affect that. Probably affects our season a lot more in the long run of things. Those goals, we'd have preferred to see both goals given, if I'm honest. But <laughs> no, yeah, agendas or not, let's the Lacazette thing though. You know, Lacazette tweeted it. Pepe liked it. Martinez commented back. You know, when they went to the BT studio, Ferdinand doesn't like Arsenal. Crouch doesn't like Arsenal. Are both sitting there going, "That's a penalty." There's no way in a month of Sundays, that Lacazette's shirt isn't pulled and that's a penalty. I'm sorry. I, I if Lacazette so. was pulling the keeper's shirt in that way and headed the ball in the goal, the goal's disallowed. I think without VAR, you think that you could see why they'd have missed it. I, I didn't, at real time, I didn't think it was a penalty. Uh, it looked like one of those where the, the striker kind of just gets involved. But yeah, I mean, it didn't, it didn't come at a good time for the referees. I don't know why they don't just admit they're wrong on that one like that that is a penalty um, I mean the thing is though right I hear what you're saying Frank so the obvious thing then should be that Lacazette is trying to gain an advantage on the officials in an inhumane way so he should be booked for diving there should be no middle ground because where the ball actually goes into in, in, in the goal is actually it is a Lacazette versus Martinez if you look at the sack the sack of corner kick actually goes what would be about two yards to the left of what would be head height for Lacazette and he's on the floor. But you know what they're saying about the tussling? You can't, and, and Martinez is like, oh, you pushed me first, which is fucking nonsense. It, Lacazette's hand is down by his side. If you are able to do what they can do in cricket and things like this, and Bob and I re reflect the cricket a, a lot, because I think the DRS system in cricket is 
Well, I, I think it's I think it's unfloorable almost to be honest. I think it's that perfect. They would just still shot it. They'll get a still shot and they'll rock and roll it, you know. And they'll just literally just sit there, rock and roll it. That this guy's got all of this player's shirt. There's enough. Um, there's enough energy passed through the pool to get to take him to ground, which is uh, obviously a um, you know is an offence in play. It's a free kick, which which obviously means a water penalty kick. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think the, the 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 key thing there, and you alluded to it, was like you hear the you hear that you know can you just rock and roll that that force is enough. Like you hear the communication between the uh, fourth yeah. umpire and the, yeah. and and the, and, the, and the umpire on 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 the field. And I guess that's where football probably doesn't doesn't help itself. I mean, I know I've seen I've seen some clips that have been going viral of the MLS where they I think they've introduced something similar. Um, like I don't think it's going to solve it. It wouldn't solve it overnight, right? But I think it would just start to eat away at that because like at the moment, and I, I, I hate to be dramatic, but it's really ruining football. Like, And I try, I try, everything I say, I try not to be too dramatic, but like genuinely my level of interest in football has gone massively down since VAR has come into play. Like I just, this, this whole disallowing goals from a toenail and, you know, it, it just, you just don't know like football is just not enjoyable anymore. I don't know. It's not as enjoyable. Like, I don't know if you guys agree with that. I can see your point totally. Uh, and, you know, we finished watching that Arsenal game and I, I turn over and put the Italy versus France game in the Six Nations. Almost five minutes after watching it, there's a, an Italian try. Goes to the TMO and the, the TMO and the ref have a chat on the pitch look at a screen, look at the situation, talk about it in open air. The try was a fantastic try, by the way, and they disallow it because of the four pass. They rock and roll it. They get every angle they need. They display that to the people watching it. The people in the ground can hear it because you can actually buy special TMO headphones when you go to rugby. And everyone knows the decision and, and, and welcomes the decision and the right decisions made, even if it's not what ones want. Everyone wanted that try to stand because it was a beautiful thing, but the right decisions made because it shouldn't stand. The officials need to make the right decisions. A comment made was that VAR isn't there to get the right decision, it's to overturn bad decisions. If VAR's not there to get the right decision, the correct decision, then I think it's in the wrong place. It has to be for the good decision. And I agree with you. Football, week in, week out, you saw Sukek for West Ham. You've seen Southampton get bum deals. Loads of teams are having deals, uh, decisions gone against them. It's ruining football. Uh, a friend of mine on Facebook literally went off on one about VAR. He, he's a Spurs fan. And he went off on one VAR about VAR and football and everything on Wednesday night. So that Spurs haven't even played. And he's saying football's being ruined and the beautiful game's turned ugly. And, he, and he's right. And so are you, Frankie. It's, it's really making football unenjoyable because by correcting or by allowing for something to correct human error and not correcting human error with something that can, it's ruining football. You asked, if you look at Aston Villa, they've taken six points of us this season. They shouldn't be in the league. We should have played Bournemouth twice. For sure. Yeah, and, and and I guess like for me, it's like it's not even just about the Arsenal games. Like I, I just find myself like being less interested in in 90% of the Premier League games. And and, and you know what? I'm I'm the first to admit I wanted VAR. 
And I'm sure, you know, 90% of football fans were really in favour of it. And I think, and this will never happen because the powers that be are, are too stubborn. I think we've all just got to go, we got this wrong. Like, let's go back down where it was. Like, and unfortunately, that's not going to happen. It's never the case in in, in anything like this. But I, I, I honestly would, I'd rip it up and, and start again. I mean, let's I, be honest. I'd, I'd take it out of the game. If you look at how VAR works in international football, a lot better. If you look at how VAR works in the European competitions, it works well. You see how it works in other countries, although recently this weekend in, Fern- in, in Turkey, it's not been great. But it's working in other places. It's in our league specifically where the decisions are not being implemented correctly because it's our professional body that's, that's implementing it. And I don't, you know, I find it quite strange that you know, you've got a bloke sitting in a room in Stockley Park that's officiating on the game. And it's the same place that's officiating on every single game. You know, that might be because of technology. It might be a number of things. But that means it's almost like VAR is Stockley Park. And if VAR gets a decision wrong at 12.30 on Saturday afternoon, Stockley Park is also doing the game at 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So it wants to make sure it's consistent with what's happened at 12.30 or not make a mistake like it did at 12.30. Whereas what you get in other other games where you have video officiating and you get this in European football is the VAR ref is in the ground. He's specific to that game. He doesn't know what's occurring in other games. He does his game. He walks away. That's how it has to be. It has to be an extension of the on-field referee. So in your program notes, you get them all there, they turn up, they're dressed in refs kits if you want them to be, they should be, they are as umpires in cricket, and it's specific to the game. They're blinkered to the game. They're not sitting in the same seat that the next bloke walks in and sits in, like in Stockley Park. That's the wrong thing. You know, you telling me that VAR's available in the Premier League, there's not a ground with that. You know, the amount of data analysts football clubs have, that technology is ready, fleeting foot in the ground. Oh, I, I think for me, just there's a, there's a, I think there's a bigger point of like, well, what do we want this sport to be? And like, you look at, for me, like the 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 real reason I think football's become a lot more predictable and, and actually a lot less enjoyable for me is VAR um, and, and the way that works. But also like, for me, like, and it, we talked about the Salah thing earlier off air, but like this this new notion because of VAR, I guess, that any contact is is a penalty. Like, it just means that I think you combine that with, with, with VAR and then also like teams and tactics evolving so much so that teams are just so cautious. Like you watch any big game really apart, I mean, Liverpool Man City was quite a good game this week, but like Man United, Liverpool or, or any any big game now, like or even any Premier League game, like you watch Man City play anyone, they'll put 10 men behind the ball. Like I think you combine those three factors of teams being so cautious tactically VAR and then also contact equal in a penalty. I think you combine those three and you get a formula for football and the Premier League, which is something that I've always said is the best product in the world, uh, in the sporting world. And I, I think it, it's really starting to lose its grip on that. You've only I got agree. to look at how many how many spot kicks Fernandez has scored for United since he's been here, which is which is now I believe two two years because he came in that January window, and I think he scored twenty penalties. <laughs> That's all. That's you unbelievable. Know. Some players haven't scored 20 goals. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that Salah incident that we, we did talk about off air, you know, that, if you look at it, is is almost for a point-by-point basis, a carbon copy of the uh, Louise versus uh, Manchester City sending off at the end of last season. And 
you see that the city player gets, Ruben Diaz, I believe, gets booked, whereas Luis gets sent off. You know, that's inconsistency. But then uh, I joked about it. I looked at it. Luis was a penalty. Luis was definitely sending off. He's brought the bloke down. It's a pen. It's a sending off against City last year. You look at Diaz. He's just flicked him on the arm. Salah's gone down like he's been shot. And what one of the things that's really bugging me about VAR and about this rule that contact equals is that footballers in the attacking third know this. They go down easily and that is wrong that defenders and teams will get penalized because of the way that players go down i don't think that's fair yeah i agree completely agree you know var has to do something you know it really does you know we've sort of moved on to talk about var whilst talking about villa here you know arsenal Mm. villa but but let's let's be honest arsenal were poor you know arsenal were poor They've had definitely one VAR decision against them that should have been a penalty. Contentious moment with Saka that could have been a sending off. But other than that, they didn't look like getting much. What did you think of Arteta's management of the game, which will actually now bring us on to the Arteta point? I think the game's covered off, but Arteta's substitutions have been a point of contention for Bob and I throughout the season, where and you still and, and you make some allowances because he's raw in the job. But he's been in it long enough now where I don't think he can be given any special extra treatment. He's also had a couple of windows now as well. And then I thought his management of the game, which wasn't the first time this year, he manages football matches, in my opinion, because he is scared of, of losing heavily more so than getting something out of the game. I agree, James. Totally agree. The thing with his substitution, the way he managed that game on the weekend, there were some forced changes, there were some non-forced changes. When he took Cedric off and brought on Odegaard, so he, sorry, he took off Lacazette to start with. You know, Lacazette was having a ba- not his greatest game. Brought on Aubameyang, the only player on the, the bench to bring on for him. Okay, didn't really make much of an impact. We started to move a bit. You know, I thought the boys in the middle of the park started to get a bit more, a bit more liveliness, you know. I, think I don't think Aubameyang touched the ball. I thought Aubameyang was dreadful when he came on. We've then taken Cedric off and brought on Erdogan. Now, well, for whatever reason or whatever we want to talk about the actual substitution, what that actually led to was a, posi- a positional change. Moving Saka to left wing back. They're linking up on the left-hand side with Pepe. Xhaka filling in and supporting and being secure. I thought that gave us our best spell of the game. So marking his substitutions, the first one, I understand why he did it. The second one was a good sub, a sound sub. I might have taken off Bellerin instead of Cedric because I thought Bellerin was diabolical and Cedric could have done the role on the right-hand side and that could have benefited us more. But yeah, that gave us our best spell of the game. Nothing to do with Odegaard. Saka gave a little bit of what Tierney gives, which helped Pepe on that left-hand side. Then obviously parties got injured. You know, Arteta can't help that. Arteta can't leave him on the pitch. He has to substitute him. And he brings on Willian. Now, whatever you feel about Willian's quality or anything like that, the mistake he made with bringing on Willian is he put him on the left-hand side. And that smashed all of that goodness all of that great movement, all of that chance that that left-hand side was bringing. And they did bring chances. Let's be honest, there was positivity from it and it stopped there and then. So the second that Willian substitution happened, and probably no disrespect to Willian there for that part, if he was brought in the right-hand side, he's almost out of harm's way and we can carry on to do something down the left. (laughs) But 
but being put on the left, it ruined it. And that's not his fault. That's tactically on Arteta. He was forced to a substitution. He executed probably the right player to bring on, really, but put him in the wrong place. Game over then. You could have turned over and watched Football Focus. But this is partly to do with the stubbornness of Arteta, about his persistence about continuing to pick with Jan. He's been ruthless in other areas by deregistering Saliba and Ozil, who are two of Arsenal's highest ticket acquisitions in the last decade. But this guy who he's brought in on a free transfer, who's had way more minutes than I think any Arsenal fan thinks he should have because of the form he's been in for months now, he just continues to get game time. And, you know, I said to you, Bob, he's had three goal contributions all season. Two of them came in the first game of the year. He's had, he's had a singular goal contribution since August 2020. You know, and it's, um, it's baffling that this guy continues to get so much time. Let's not be, let's not be to find a point on it. I think his first goal contribution against Fulham, if my memory serves me well, was him missing a shot that fell to Lacazette that put the ball in on the rebound. If I'm, you know, I'm, I'm no, not... No, it was, I'm, yeah, yeah, it's five yards out. Yeah. So his first goal contribution was him not doing it himself. Uh, yeah, and arguably his second one is a touch of brilliance from Aubameyang, isn't it? I mean, he beats two players and scores from 25 yards, but... But look, it is, but it's still a goal contribution and they all count. I think Bellerin got the goal contribution for the Sheffield United goal. Pepe scored, Frank mentioned earlier. and I He think, did, yes. He did, he got the assist. He yeah, got the assist for both goals in that game, whereas yeah. Pepe was the catalyst to give us goals. But what do you think, Frank? I mean, where do you stand on this Arteta situation? I mean, overall, I mean, I, I'm relatively happy with Arteta. I'm not... Look, I think if you appoint a manager, a rookie manager you're going to get a few years of pain. You know, we're not Barcelona where you bring in Pep Guardiola in it and, you, you know, you've got Lionel Messi. Like, this is going to take a long time and he, he probably has to, he, he bought himself more time with that FA Cup win. Had he not won the FA Cup, would he still be Arsenal manager? Probably not, which, you know, that can go either way. I, I think overall though, I, I do like what he does. I think he makes mistakes, you know, as does every manager. And uh, you know, could he have handled the Saliba situation better on reflection? Maybe. Uh, should he have been so vocal about signing Willian? I'd say there are probably other forces at play there. I wouldn't. I, I, I'm gonna. I'm happy to give him the benefit of the doubt there. I think for me, the the the, the thing I'm glad about at least is that we got out of that terrible run of form. I, I really thought he was close to. The sack, um, and then he put his faith in the young players, not because they're young players and he wanted to write the season off, but because they're our best players. Yeah, you know, Emil Smith Rowe and Saka have arguably been our two players of the season this season. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm. I'm. This is going to take time, and I, I, you know, I'm not one of the people that you know blindly wants him to to succeed. But like, I'm happy to give him time. I don't. I don't have. I don't actually have wild, wild expectations at the moment, which is probably a sad thing. But it's an honest thing, isn't it? I, I, it is honest. I don't, I don't expect us to be. I don't expect us to challenge for a title. And I, and I think if we let go of Arteta now, could he go and be a really top manager somewhere else? Yes. Where so, do you? Where, sorry. So that that being said, and you and you plug in for a um, you know a long drive down the highway for sustained um, growth in in the future. How long are you happy to, um, you know, get comfortable with mediocrity for then? You know, bearing in mind 10th out of a league of 20 teams is, is, is the medium. <laughs> Hang on. It's a tricky one, right? Because context matters and like how our performances are, where the team looks like it's going is, is really important. I think, like, I think the club really thought that 
going into last summer, they were going to be able to shift a lot of their players. And I thought they, they were going to have a really big overhaul, uh, maybe naively. Um, and and, it, uh, and a year year in a pandemic, no one wanted to spend any money. And I thought they I think they thought they really were going to get rid of a lot of these players for a lot for, for a decent amount of money. And we're going to be able to bring in maybe a, an Awa, maybe a, a Buendia, maybe a, you know someone else. But like, I, I think the money wasn't there, and, and and Arsenal felt that more than more than a lot of clubs. So going into this season, the the, the clubs that had already spent a lot of money were probably going to do better. You know, your Man City look fantastic, but that is so, because yeah. Man City's owner, who is a, a multi billionaire in his own right, similar to Arsenal's, is happy to cut losses because he believes in a vision that's been sold to him by his management team, and he will invest in a sixty million Diaz, uh, Cancelo. They bought other players. They didn't take care of 18 million for Eric Garcia, albeit he's going to the final year of his contract because he may need to provide backup to other things. And fundamentally, he's invested in his side. And at the same token, blooding players through the youth system like uh, Phil Foden. And look at the re- re-emergence of John Stones as well. Um, so I like John Stones. Yeah, I do a lot as well. And, and I think that that being said... You know, Arsenal were Arsenal were happy to deregister their highest ticket player, which means that you have to be of the utmost ruthless. So you should have loaned out. Saliba should have gone out on loan in the first in the first window, not sat around for six months devaluing his ticket value when he's only a nineteen year old kid. Uh, Mustafi should have been should have should have gone out on loan. Socrates should have gone out on loan. You know, there. I feel like there was an up around for Terreira to go, but Arsenal actually dragged their heels with this party situation. Didn't manage it properly. If you believe what you read, Arteta wanted a war. Uh, Edu wanted party. You know, really, it should have been a case of okay, get both because we're so short in midfield, and they didn't. And I think that we're just never, that there's never any urgency in transfer windows. And I actually think the one that we've just had is really poor. And I was going to ask you both what you thought of Erdegaard's cameo performance in what is now his third game since he's been here at the club. I know he's only played in you know, one I think other. Frankie made a great point. And his point was that with the Willian deal, that there was potentially other forces at play with that. But like a lot, a lot of these deals and a lot of our transfer dealings during this season have been Arteta's phone call made the difference. Arteta's phone call made the difference. Arteta, this is a footballing reason. Arteta, this is my vision. You know, he's taken a lot of the, the decision making, I suppose, as manager, newly promoted manager, that that's the case. But I I can see your point, and I probably agree with you, Frankie, that there are other forces at play. There's, you know, do you really think that Arteta's been on the phone all day to Willian to try and convince him to come and play for Arsenal when realistically there was an offer, an opportunity for Coutinho or another opportunity for Awar, who he wanted both of? Do you really think he spent all that time? Do you really think he spent all that time on the phone to Odegaard to try and get him to come when actually he wanted Bundia or actually he wanted another nibble in France or something else? You know, I just don't get it. You know, I don't get who is in charge at Arsenal because they go around in circles. Edu's working hard. Is he, you know, very easy be. to cancel <laughs> contracts? Yeah, he should be working hard. Like he's, he's got the job of job of a lifetime. Um, I, I think Arsenal just got it wrong, like in in their their profiling of who they sign. Like for me, you look at someone who a team that do it really well, and because look, we're not Man City. I know it's like we're Arsenal, not Man City. We can't afford to go and get loads of 
players for 50 million and get loads of them wrong. Like if we're going to... That, that's because Arsenal choose not to be though, Frankie. That's not because their their owners don't have the firepower to, to be that person. That's because the club... But, but the, the, the owners aren't. I think we we know what these owners are, and 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 the thing is, they they have put money in. I just don't think they're putting money, like money in in the right way. Like for me, you look at someone like Leicester. Leicester don't have the budget Arsenal have, right? But the rate the way they've been able to raise funds and compete at the top level is because they've signed the right profile of players. They sign good players from the lower leagues. People like James Madison early. Probably. They sign people like Harry Maguire early. And then they sell them on for 80 million. James Madison's going to go and get them 60 million. Then they reinvest that with young players that are good on their way up and have resale value. And I think Leicester just proved that you don't actually need the huge, huge budgets of Man City to compete. You can go and buy Harry Maguire for, what, 10 million? Sell him for well, 80 million. They replaced uh, Maguire with uh, with the player that I was barking at Bob for us to buy in Kaglar Sunku. You know, who's yes. been it? Um, who unfortunately, obviously, he's got season long. Um, I think he's out for a whole season now. But the time that he did play last year, and they paid what sixteen million for him, and everybody got over. Everybody overlooked it at the time because it was another one of these situations where everyone thought we were going to sign up a Makanu. I was like, no, buy this lad Sonku. That's he. He is a top top player. He's got really good exposure to first team football. I think he played in the Champions League already. Sixteen million quid is a snip. Yeah, we just don't seem to buy that 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 player. Like, like for me, and 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 I think we're gonna. Um, I might I might be wrong on this, but we're gonna come back in a few years. Someone, and it's gonna be Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool, Man City. Someone is gonna go and pay 55, 60, 70 million for Abira Eze from Crystal Palace, and everyone could have got him for twenty million this this summer. And you look at someone like Ollie Watkins, who man, uh, who Villa got for twenty million. Someone might have to pay sixty million for him. Like there are people in the Championship to go and get, and you know we can turn our nose up at them if we like, because when you get linked with them, everyone seems to think, oh, they're Championship players. But James Madison was a Championship player. Jack Grealish was a Championship player. You know, there's there's top top players out there. That's why the Buendia link did not scare me at all. He's a top player, and and, and he's played in the Premier League. You know, it's exactly. Not. And and I think this. Um, I think actually now. You know, you took the players that you mentioned, um, Frankie, is the reason why people are sitting scratching their head because they're, they're demanding these these big tickets now for players in the championship. And people are getting a bit, you know, bewildered by it. In the second tier of English football, all of a sudden it's, it's a 30, 30, 35, 40 million pound um, market. You know, and you're like, I just hadn't factored that in. But you look at this lad that everyone's talking about next, the striker at Brentford, Ivan Tony, Tony, I think he's called. Is that yes. your way, isn't it? West London. I mean, people are saying that this lad's going to be the next 30, 40 million quid. I think he's the next Ollie Watkins, potentially. You know, I just think these clubs, like Leicester, what they're doing is they're doing it right. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Man City. Man City can burn money. They can do exactly what they want to do. But... Leicester are doing it right. They are looking. They are scouting. George Graham, when he came to Arsenal, first thing he did was he wanted to get hold of local newspaper reporters. He went out and signed Lee Dixon, a snip. Steve Bold, a snip. Both went on to be Arsenal legends. He literally researched because he knew where the good stuff was coming from. And that's the difference. If you manage your club properly, you can make profit regenerate the profit, invest, purchase, invest, purchase, and do all of that. Or if you, but, and then the same goes, if you manage your club properly, when you've got lots of money, then you can do all that. But if you don't have any money, you have to do, but Arsenal have both. 
They have the money, they don't want to spend it. They're not doing it correctly. Cronky could spend money. But when they do spend money, they're not managing it right. You know, to drop however many thousands a week we're paying for Willian is not the right player. But then you don't go out and get, you know, you're right with Bundia. 40 million, they were probably saying. We could have probably done a much better deal because we've got assets that could have gone the other way in Ketia, Balagon, you know. Uh, Willock on loan, uh, Reese Nelson on loan, Saliba on loan. You know, the same with uh, the, the guy who's gone to Ben Rama that's gone to West Ham that's just starting to come to fruition now. We could have gone and got him. David Raya could have gone and got him. You know, there's lots of player out there that we could have gone and got. So frightened like yeah, frightened about going out and buying them because they're championship. Frightened about dropping top dollar. But when you're thinking we're loaning I mean, Ainsley Maitland-Niles to West Brom, under Sam Allardyce, that's a crock of shit. It's not going to benefit him at all. It's not benefiting Arsenal Football Club at all. That deal it is of zero benefit to Arsenal Football Club. And, and, you know, and Frank, we're not, not outsmarting the market at all. Yeah, exactly. And I take your points, you know, about we now have to, under Wenger, the last decade of Wenger's reign, we, had, we knew we had to try and do adverse things in the transfer market when other teams were amassing humongous deals. But I can't help but think that Arsenal Football Club, you know, have sold, have only had two player sales over £30 million in, it, in the entirety of their existence, you know, in, and, and in Oxlade-Chamberlain and Awobi, who are probably two players that we'd never associate with, <laughs> with sales like that. You know, the deal that we done in the end for Sanchez for Mkhitaryan was valued at, we actually ended up selling Sanchez at 30.8 million and we paid 30.8 million for Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan played half a, like a season for Arsenal because he played one half season, another half season. He played a half season for Wenger in Wenger's last season and actually had a really good return, you know, with Aubameyang obviously in his first window as well. And then, you know, and he's, we've lost him and he's like fire, he's totally firing it up in, 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 in Rome. But we've, in, we've ended up giving Sanchez to United for free because we, we, let, we let Mkhitaryan go for free. He ended up going to Roma for a season on loan. Then he just joined them when his contract expired. I mean, it's, it's, it's fucking farcical that that stuff happens. You know, like, you know, we sold Chesney to Juventus for like 12 million quid when, when goalkeeper sales had gone for 30, 35. Well, Juventus have absolutely had it off of us. Ramsey and Chesney for 12 million pounds. Two, arguably two of Arsenal's best players. Um, but for, for for me, like the the, the real problem, and I, I completely see what you're saying in terms of Cronky could invest. But for me, why why would he? Because every time he invests, he gets nothing back. Like I've got a way bigger problem with the way we handle player sales as opposed to player purchases. Because like we we're also not buying the right players, right? But at the same time, we're just not managing contracts effectively. We're not selling right. Like Liverpool. The reason they were able to go and buy Van Dijk is because they got 135 million for Philip Coutinho. Coutinho. They got yeah. 25 million for Rian Brewster. They, mean, and you just knew that we were not. If we sold Eddie and Kethia, which I'm I'm against, but if we were to sell him, I don't think we'd get more than 10 million pounds. If he played for Liverpool, they would get at least 30 million pounds. I just think that's the reality, and the club need to take a need to conduct a good long review on that because. We're just we're putting ourselves at a massive disadvantage. I, I don't actually think an owner putting loads of money into a team is the way it should be. You should be building your squad through squad building and selling players, yeah. buying players. And we can't seem to do that. We're just we're useless. Absolutely. The the player recruitment 
the management, the players, the whole HR system, if you will, is is just wrong. You know, we are letting players go out of the door for zero this month and clapping that we've cancelled Mustafi's contract. Well, we haven't cancelled it, but he's gone out for free, basically. Ozil's contract's been cancelled. Socrates cancelled. Mkhitaryan, the other year, cancelled. Ramsey going a free. All these players just leaving the football club, holding us to ransom. You know, then Sonelli comes that out and says, it. oh, that's it. That's it. Once we get to the last year, if they don't sign, we're going to piss them off. I saw, I saw an article earlier on today. Edu's decision and hard work, what he does about the Lacazette contract. You know, Lacazette's moving into the last year of his contract now. So any value that he potentially holds is literally going. And now he's holding us in the palm of his hand for his contract or not. We just lose out with players all the time. Yeah, and the biggest issue is, is that there were, we went through a period and, and Wenger's partly to blame for this because he was in charge at the time. But everybody came into this wage-tiered contract because at the time there was a clause in Wenger's contract that no player could earn more than Wenger. And everybody kept falling into this kind of what they used to call tier 1, 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B. And everyone used to keep falling into this tier 2A and tier 2B. And, and it was basically somewhere in the region of, of 60 to 90,000 pounds per week. And you ended up having everyone in that window, you know, Koscielny, Czech, Louise, El Nenny, I think at the very, very low end of that, Kolasinac, Socrates, all these players who are on, like, do you know what I mean? All of a sudden they're on 4 million quid a year. And they're, they're just the, the market on the continent. They haven't got the wages. They haven't got the wage bills for those players. You know, they've normally got one or two really, really high-earning players, and then everyone else is kind of, you know, we we signed Party from Atletico, and, and he, I think he was earning something like ninety thousand euros at the time when we signed Party. But he had a, he was about to get a new contract, which is going to see a double up, which is why we've had to pay him top dollar. But you know, but there's, but there's. Plenty of top, top, top class players playing in Germany and Spain that Arsenal would lick their lips at to have in their teams that are earning less than a hundred thousand euros a year. Yes, sorry, it's, a it's week. Absolute, it's absolute child's play the way they do it, James. It bugs me to no end that every window and every you know how how long have we gone as Arsenal fans where we've always been missing a player. Oh. Yeah, the famous if we had two more players lined yeah. up. Yeah. Oh, if we replaced Vieira, don't do it. You know, if we replaced Henri, if we replaced Seaman, if we replaced Adams, if we replaced Sol Campbell, if we replaced Gilberto, you know, I'm, I'm reading out phenomenal players. If we replaced Bobby Perez, you know, and in many ways, we've replaced lots of those players. But Frankie made a really good point about Man City and we're not Man City. But, you know, they've replaced company four times. Uh, one of them, one of them is going to get it right. You know, they replaced David Silva with what became his understudy and is now his surpasser in, in Kevin De Bruyne. You know, Jesus is going to go beyond Aguero. He, he's not quite there, but he's probably actually bar Kane, the best nine in the league in retrospective return. Well, and Vardy in return of goals. You know, they they do they've replaced Sane with Sterling and Mares and and now they've got Ferran Torres. So they address the situation straight away. They're ruthless. You know, Look at Liverpool in this window. Liverpool, no centre backs, need them. Okay, let's go and get them. Bang. Yeah, two centre backs in a day. And those were literally out of the blue. Yeah, I mean all the the guy the guy from Preston, like, by all accounts looks to be 
pretty good fit for what they wanted. They needed someone who could play play at the back. For me, like you look at, I guess I'm kind of bringing back an old point, but you look at uh, Man City are able to to you know try four times to sign a centre back. We would be in this position if we'd have actually sold players right. Like you look at say Mustafi, Ramsey, Alexis, Özil. Etc. You got 100, 200 million there that you could have carried on investing, but instead we've let these players just drift into obscurity, and we're left with no money. Um, so then the owner has to keep investing. So and you're, and, and, and you're right, Frankie. And I back you up. I said this on our last pod. I said there might be a point where the Cronkies actually we we our poor management of transfers our last four to five windows is where the Cronkies turn around and say do you know what fuck this I've given you three four hundred million quid and all and there's no resaleability on it at all like yeah. who, our best player sucker yeah and I don't exactly you know I, I could do a property deal here in the states right if I put three hundred million pound into something I'm not losing my money. Like um, at the very least, I get my money back, and I'd also expect some kind of profit or return on it, which would be either you know uh, player sales thereafter, or I, you know I get I get major honours and trophies, which obviously could come with financial rewards and also um, and also big commercial boosters. So it's uh, yeah, I, I, t- I do agree with you in that regard. The poor management has actually probably uh, watered down the Cronky out brigade a bit because Cronky's all of a sudden got an excuse, which he hasn't had for a long time before that. Agreed, agreed. And it, it, the thing is, it does it as I'm, I'm a huge NFL fan, and, and and it really doesn't mirror his experience with the LA Rams. Like they really the LA Rams have just built a new stadium for two billion dollars. They're going all in. They even this off season, they've you know you can't spend money in the NFL per se, but They've gone all in, like they're, they're they're trading everything they can to get to win right now, and it just doesn't feel like he's got, has that aggressiveness at Arsenal. Maybe because in the LA Rams he sees someone they've got a really really good young coach, and he thinks this guy doesn't let me down. He makes the playoffs every year. You know, if Arsenal actually returned, you know, profit on some of their players, I think he would probably put more money into the, the transfers. Well, he did that very same window after we got to the Europa League final. They sat down after getting to the Europa League final after missing out on the Champions League by a point. And they thought, oh, we've only just missed out. Let's go and invest. And obviously what's happened after that is down to a, a number of reasons with Emery, et cetera, et cetera. But they, they, they looked to that. So they thought they had the chance. Then oh. obviously what they've seen since is, here, here, this is not going our way. So we need to now retract. They also gave Emery a best part of 130 million, his opening window, I believe, you know, because I think a lot of the old Wenger brigade were like, oh, now you give money. But, you know, not forgetting that, obviously, if you do give the Mkhitaryan deal 30 million quid value, you know, Wenger spent 100 million in the January before with Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan. So then he also redeemed selling Giroud and selling... Sanchez, Sanchez, probably yeah. for somewhere nearly the 50 million mark. It was 50 million, yeah. It would have been 18 and, and 30 and a bit, yeah. So, you know, the Giroud Which one is really a, good. Because the what Giroud is, one was a good return of money because obviously he scored 120 odd goals for Arsenal and we bought him for 10 million and sold him for 18. So, But we sold him to arrive. I mean, I know it needed, to, I know they needed to the domino effect to get a Bamiang through the door. I know that needed to happen. But when do you, when do you see your teams? selling the key areas to the to key players to the key teams unless they come in and drop money. 
I mean, we have we have sold players to Chelsea, City, Liverpool, and United. I mean, the only one we need to just get a, a royal flush is Spurs. But obviously, Oxlade Chamberlain has gone to Liverpool. A whole fucking barrage of players in the mid 2010s went to Man City. Sanchez went to United. Van Persie went to United. Yeah, and obviously, like Giroud and Ashley Cole have gone to Chelsea. So. You know, we a lot of teams have benefited off our off of us, which pl- probably played into the point Frankie made earlier about we're a bit of an average club, we're a bit of a feeder club now. We're not managed correctly at all. Yeah, I, I, we could talk for hours about this yeah. particular point because it's it's true to our heart. You know, it's it is back at the top. I'm inclined to agree with you, Frank, a bit on on the fact that I think Arteta's got ability, but I think the team above the direct first team manager have have all got to pull their socks up a little bit and the club needs to be orchestrated in a way that actually gives him a fighting chance. I, I think at the moment, the management of players that and giving Arteta a, a competent squad is, is integral to him taking us from kind of seventh to tenth to the top six again. And then... We'll see what we're going to do. It's going to be a really, really, really interesting summer. There's a lot of players out of contract entering their first year. Also, the age of Lacazette and Aubameyang needs to be visited as well uh, very soon. Um, yeah, for sure. So, and, uh, I, I mean, I guess the 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 counter to that would be like, you know, we need to these guys to have a have time. Everyone's dealing with a pandemic, I guess. But um, but is it? it, it <sighs> I don't really know how this is going to shake out. Like we're we're in a really sticky situation. I think squad wise, like we there's still even though we got rid of some really bad eggs, there's still a lot of average players in the squad, and it's going to take a long time to get rid of them. Absolutely, and to Agreed. strengthen, I, I totally agree. It's going to be it's, it's going to be from a a long hard winter, so to speak. Yes, it is. For right, sure. well, we covered Arteta. We covered Villa. Um, we we did a bit on VAR, um, but it does lead into, Bob, your favourite feature of the week, which is hashtag F-O-C-W, ah, yes. which is, for those that don't know, is fuck of the week. Bob's favourite word to describe <laughs> people in a in a kind of cursing adjective oh. is calling them a fuck. So this week, we've, we've had quite a few contenders to fuck of the week. <laughs> I started off uh, with, with Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp turns around and says his players are exhausted, they're tired. The same set of players that two weeks prior, he's gone out and played against Aston Villa's children, you know, and, and royally beat them. You know, if, mate, rest your team when you can, then they won't be tired. So you nearly got fuck of the week there, Jurgen, but you just missed out. Flying in, I, I, did, I couldn't believe this bloke got pipped in the end. But Joe Linton posting having a haircut, you know, absolute. You know, what are you doing posting yourself having a picture? Although, beer, I got burnt about this last week. Who knows? That bloke could live with him, you know? But don't <laughs> post it, mate. I've got shocking hair at the moment. I can't have it cut. Loads of people can't have their hair cut. So don't post it, you know? We do have a stop press with the boy Saliba, but I, I, I need to research that a bit more before I start giving out awards. Yes. <laughs> but I want I want before I before I give out this week's award, Frankie, you got any contenders for the old fuck of the week yourself? Well, I mean, I th- I think we might disagree on this, but I think Cedric should be up there. Cedric, that's a, that's a scathing. You know, this is for absolute 
first class fuckery. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to throw something into the mix. Wow, well, um, you found a debate in. Okay, Cedric in. Okay, he, he's not winning it because this week's winner, this week's winner is the in for his defense of the indefensible. It's his astonishing fuckery was met with absolute disdain from Peter Crouch. I thought Rio Ferdinand, if he could get within two metres of him, was going to lynch him. But BT's very own Peter Walton is this week's fuck of the week. Mate, the way you have defended, <laughs> the way he's defended VAR decisions and he's taken the same VAR decision in two games and defended them differently, the way he said that VAR's whilst not also, there to get the right whilst, decision. Whilst, whilst also agreeing with the other person and then giving a reason for why he disagreed. Like he opened the sentence, Crouch or Rio would talk and say, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, Peter, but what I actually... But you are disagreeing because you're about to say it's not a penalty. So and you are disagreeing because you're about to say it's not a red card. Or you are disagreeing because you're <laughs> trying to justify that the Bednarek one isn't exactly the same as the Louise one, which I still, Absolutely. I mean, still watch them on like a dual screen, both incidents. And I, I don't know if you can, Frank, but I physically, they happen on the same day, game after game. And I literally cannot, I can't, I cannot for the life of me determine the difference. How a referee can, can determine the difference between the Bednarik and the Louise one to say it deserves a different card. No, yeah, I mean, no, it's... Yeah. One of them's wearing an Arsenal shirt. Um, no, look, I, I think it, it, <laughs> they didn't help themselves there. I think if they had just reversed both decisions, I think they would have saved themselves a lot of um, issues. But then, you know, I, I think it's. I think yeah, it was really difficult. It is I think it's really difficult. It's very easy for them to reverse the Man United decision because Southampton got smashed nine-one. Agreed. Agreed. You can't if you reverse that Louise decision, which was the reason that Arsenal lost. Let's not lie about it. It's the reason Arsenal lost. You reverse that you're saying that this whole game needs to stop and change. Dangerous game. But Peter Walton's brilliance, utter, you know, James, whenever anyone opens up their sentence with, I'm not disagreeing with you, it's the same as anyone that opens up with their sentence saying, I don't mean offence. Your following sentence is going to do both disagree and mean offence if you use it. Peter Walton, welcome to the club. It's the third VAR or the third official on the bounce that has won this week's fuck of the week. Yeah, and I also believe that Peter Warren, this will not be your last time that you hold this illustrious crown. So, yeah, I believe like uh, Messi and Ronaldo, you could be a don of the fuck of the week um, in weeks to come. Anyway, we move on beyond FOTW. Hashtag it. Check it out at Jim Bobcast. Right, we have an Ask the Guest. We are going to play this week's game with Frankie as our very first guest, which we are incredibly over the moon to have him on board with us. So this week's game is Play Your Gooners Right, an abbreviation of Play Your Cards Right. I will be Brucey, Frankie will be Frankie, and you will obviously get the opportunity, Frank, to go higher or low. So what we will start with is David Seaman had... 482 Arsenal appearances. So, Dennis Bergkamp, did he have more or less appearances than David Seaman? Um, so, Bergkamp would have joined in 27. lower. Let's go lower. Oh, correct. Moves on to the next one. Yay! 
Ian Wright. 404 appearances for Dennis Bergkamp. Correct. Yeah, nice, nice, nice. Ian Wright's Arsenal goals versus Dennis's appearances for Arsenal. So again, it's Ian Wright's Arsenal goals. Lower or higher than 404? Ian Wright's goals are lower. 185 Arsenal goals, Ian Wright, in 288 appearances, 279 of which were starts. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Okay, mixing the order up. Okay, so Ian Wright's Arsenal goals, 185. Did Santi Cazorla play more or less Arsenal games and Ian Wright scored goals for Arsenal? Is that all appearances? Yes, all appearances. Um, let's see who's at the club for five years. Oh, that'll be tight, I think. Um, he did have that one bad injury, dun, dun, didn't he? Dun, but um, dun, 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 I'm going to go lower. Oh, he's right. He's on to the next question. Santi Cazorla having only 180 Arsenal appearances to Ian Wright's 185. Next one would be Ray wow. Parler Premier League appearances. Over Santi's 180. God, he played for years for Arsenal. I think I'm going to go higher. Yes, Ray Parler having 333 Premier League appearances for Arsenal. So um, that is Arsenal's all time record appearances in the Premier League. So, of any player that's ever played for Arsenal, he has more Premier League appearances than them all. The Romford Pele, a great man. I actually was lucky enough to re, um, to re, to meet Ray at a um, a charity game I hosted down at the, uh, at the at the Barnet Ground, and he's a lovely, lovely bloke. So um, then for he's great, the he's great value. yeah, he is yeah, and then for the complete crown to take um, what, the guests to one 0 against Bob and I would be Wojciech Szczesny. The total Arsenal appearances, higher or lower? Then Ray Parler's 333 league appearances. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to go lower. Yes. Lower it is. It is a clean sweep for Frankie. Wojciech Szczesny had wow. 81 Arsenal. Congratulations. You've done very well. There was a few sticky ones, you know. Kazola uh, versus Ian Wright was tight. And Ray Parler's 333, I thought was quite high. You know, you might have. Well, you, you've got. You've got to think he he was playing in in the early early nineties, right? So he played. He started playing in the football. I think he played his debut for us in the football league. That infamous game on a Friday night, I think, it was the ITV match where he, he gave away a penalty on his debut. Actually, mm. so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the only reason I kind of went for for him. But yeah, it's, 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 fine, it's fine, good. fine Arsenal knowledge. Fine Arsenal knowledge. Frankie wins our Frankie wins our first game, which is play your Gunas right. So um, he will take the illustrious. Illustrious crown of which is Buckle, Frankie. We won't be able to send you anything, but um, <laughs> know that obviously you have taken one up on Bob and I. And when pubs open, we'll be sure to meet and buy you a beer. Right, let's finish on. Or not, they might open with no alcohol. <laughs> well, that is actually uh, potential as well. So, what we wanted to ask there was two more things, and both of them kind of interconnecting. So, how you actually marked that last transfer window out of 10. I know you've spoken a lot about it in Arsenal's transfer musings, but that exact last transfer window we've just been privy to, what did you grade out of 10 and why? <laughs> Look, I would probably give it a five. I thought we were going to go and sign a left back. I think that's the, the thing I would have done. I would have just got a backup left back. 
yeah. a Ryan Bertrand or a someone Anyone. like that just to cover Tierney because we, we we miss so much. Like Cedric's had a couple of good games at left back, but we just miss having that la- natural left footer at left back. Um, and like we we look a completely different team when Kieran Tierney doesn't play. Um, and I'm not saying Ryan Bertrand would have solved all those problems, but I think a backup left back, I probably put it at a seven. I'm glad we got Odegaard in. Like I don't, I think we're yet to see what he can do, but like by all accounts, he's an incredible talent. He's been someone actually. I, I I thought we were going to sign a few years ago, and I'm glad he's here now. And I, I think if he does play well, I think we're going to look back on that transfer as a really good one. Emil Smith Rowe for me is is been brilliant, and I've, I've 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 loved every minute of it. I just thought on against Villa, we started to see the signs of him getting a bit tired. So I think. Erdegaard will slowly start to ease the workload. So I think it could still retrospectively look at being a good window. And um, we've got a backup keeper in Ryan who's better than that clown we've got from uh, Iceland. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think it could be an all right one, but I think at the moment it's a five. I mean, in the summer, what do Arsenal need to do to actually, for the very first time in a long time, have an eight, nine, ten out of ten window? Uh, I think they need to decide what they want to do long term in the striker position. Is Lacazette or Aubameyang, are they the are they the man going to play down the middle? And the answer is probably no. So I think you've got to go and buy a centre forward, a long term centre forward, maybe a the guy from Celtic, Edouard, or the guy from Salzburg, Dakar. So I think they're I, nine. I, I really like Calvert Lewin. I, th- I, I think agree. So there's a lot of Calvert Lewin that I can see really benefiting Arsenal. I think it might be a bit too expensive. Um, do you try and do you try and um, do as you said earlier? Do you try and upset Aston Villa and go and try and take Watkins from them? Look, the club, the club want to swallow. My problem is, I think when you could have got him for twenty million last summer to go and pay fifty, sixty, I think the club would have to swallow a lot of pride. Now it's probably the right thing to do. I just don't think they'd do it. So yeah, I think you go and get go and get a striker. You probably you either work things out with Guendouzi or you. you I think you need a partner from there. I, I think. At this point, we know what Granit Xhaka is. Like he's had a good few games, but we know he's not good enough. We, yeah, I know it's an, it's a lazy thing to thing to track, but you've got every year we made the Champions League until Granit Xhaka signed. We sign him, and we've not made the Champions League since. Yeah, and I also think if you should be able to, if you if you're smart and there is some there is part of a market there, you should be able to achieve fifty million for Guendouzi, Xhaka, and Torreira combined. Which would allow Agreed. you to then go and Agreed. get an awar or a or a party kind of equivalent, or this maybe this lad. I do quite like this lad Bissouma at Brighton. Um, I completely agree like with that. I like I him a lot. He's um, really good. Yeah. So, I, I, and that's this is all this is all it though, isn't it? For us to have a good window, we need smart sales to help trigger smart acquisitions. You you can't have one without the other at Arsenal, yeah, because we're not a burned club. <laughs> But that's what Arsenal have been doing. Arsenal have been trying to sell players when they are when they need to sell them. Rather than going out and saying, do you know what? If we move on Xhaka, or we last season moved on Lacazette, or we move on Maitland-Niles when we don't want, you know, move them on when their value's on the rise. Because once they hit that top value, they're only going to come down. So to, to move on... Xhaka, you know, his second half of the season, he's been quite positive. He's probably improving his value at the moment. To move him on in the summer is sensible business. To trade out Torreira, whose value is on the down, in the, the the steep decline, you know, is is bad. It's going to have to happen because he could bottom out. You know, you have to move these players on. You have to make the money to be able to reinvest. You know, Leicester sell Maguire for. This is a brilliant thing. Leicester sold Maguire for 80 million. 
reinvested, did that. They had a they had a reasonable offer from us that they had essentially accepted on Jamie Vardy when we offered for him, but they turned that deal around. Why? Because it wasn't of the right value to them. They couldn't replace him, but they wanted him. So well, they managed the deal correctly. And the, the bigger, you know, one, the, the bigger one than that, Bob, Bob, the bigger one than that was we had a deal in principle for Mares at 40 million. And then they thought, no, 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 fuck this. We'll give him a new contract. And he went to he went to City for sixty, didn't he? I think Frankie, you're a bit more uh, well, something very similar. Wide football, yeah. was it fifty five, sixty million? City played for him. It wasn't the money that we offered. Fifty five sounds about right. Yeah, about that. I think it was around that. But yeah. that's it. It's other clubs are relevant. I mean, it's a point we said earlier on. Other clubs are relevant of their money are managed so much better than Arsenal. If Arsenal, you know, if Arsenal managed themselves off the field with a little bit more professionalism you know going back to the Dean Wenger era if they started managing themselves like that Dean George Graham you know George Graham other than maybe getting a few brown envelopes uh, <laughs> in his latter time maybe let's not use George Graham uh, but in the Dean era we managed things correctly we went out and got players that everyone turned their heads at you know the whole Nicholas Anelka deal buy him for cheap or oh, we're going to get him on a free actually it's getting a bit scary let's go and lump in and buy him take a punt, sell him a couple of years later for an absolute fortune. Brilliant. Bring in Henri. How good was that? Along with Henri came in Will Todd. How good was he? You know, along with them came in Robert Pires. How good was he? All these players coming in, buying players effectively. We used to have real head-turning transfers. Real head-turning. I remember when we signed Burkamp. We signed Dennis Burkamp and David Platt in the same window. What's a window? Yeah. So, so you know, let's go back down memory lane. Admittedly, yeah, but then, but then also doing deals at the right number. Henri had won a World Cup. We bought, we paid thirteen million for him at the time. Shearer was fifteen million. You know, so yeah, I know Henri had to find a bit, and Shearer had won a Premier League title, but he was a World Cup winner. Uh, as was Wilton, when we paid eleven and a half million for him. Yeah, oh, look, it, 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 look, I mean the it, scouting, it, it, of, the it, scouting of Jens Lehmann. You know, Jens for his eccentricness was a brilliant goalkeeper for Arsenal Football Club. You know, we obviously had an error with Richard Wright, you know, in purchasing him. But scouting Jens Lehmann and picking him up for a nominal amount of money was inspired business. Replace David Seaman, bang, invincible goalkeeper. You know, I think all of those factors, when you look at how we used to be run, used to be run, was brilliant. We then looked at situations and tried to change things and we didn't change the model correctly. Gazidis, bad management. You know, since then, bad management. Wenger in there, uh, Jumberg, you can't blame, include Jumberg here. Uh, but Emery and Arteta, everything surrounding it is negative. So we do need that big window. But that's a long way away. Even if we have a big window, if we, even if we go and drop 200 million in the summer, I don't have any confidence that they're spending on the right players. Agreed. I don't. I don't have confidence. We'd be definitely assuring for the top four either. No, no. And I think I think you're right. I think it needs two or three two hundred million pound windows um, with how competitive the rest of the league is. But whilst you're spending your two hundred million franc, you bought a striker. Um, you're obviously then looking at moving someone on. Are you, are you, where else? What other positions are of interest to you? Oh, I mean, we mentioned it earlier. Probably a right back. Yeah, I think there's a, there's quite a few good ones to be honest. Like the, the the lad from Brighton, Tarek Lamptey, maybe Carl Walker Peters. I think one of those players would, would be good. You can sell you could probably sell Bellerin for fifteen, twenty million, twenty five million, maybe. So I think that's an easy one. Centre back, I'm actually 
you know, you could you could go and buy right best centre back, but I'd rather just see what we had in Saliba. You know, can we make Saliba Gabriel work as a partnership? It feels like that's where the future should go. Um, yeah. Back up left back as we didn't address it, but then other than that, I'm I'm pretty happy with our with our options to be honest. And it it's just we need players to take take a leap. We need to, we need to go buy some players for the long term. But then we just need Saka to get better. We need Emil Smith Rowe to get better. We need Party to settle. We need Pepe to get better. And then I think the squad can come together. I, I agree, and, and and I think obviously you've not mentioned centre midfield because you'd like to see Gwen Doozy play a forty five game season and see what you get out of him. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, yeah, well, I, I think you mentioned it earlier, and I think there's, I think there's value in it, and and I think his ticket price is certainly above what Emery bought him for, and that looks like it was quite good business. But I, I'd actually potentially look at selling Holding. I think Holding's a good player, but I don't think he's an Arsenal player, and I, I think Arsenal need to transition the ball a lot quicker. And after he had his long injury, Holding, he just looks still to be a bit more uncomfortable on the ball. I thought when we played Chelsea in that in that final and he, he pocketed Costa, he was also such a competent centre-back because he was such a good distributor. And I think he's really nervous on the ball now. And he doesn't try the same sort of things. You know, Gab- Gab- Gabriel and Luis happy to go in over the top and, and fire off the fire off the diverse passing range. He just looks like he's been taken out of his game holding. And I think you need it now. Uh, certainly the way Arteta's going to manage, uh, manage manage the club, looking at there's a blend of a bit of what Klopp's doing and what um what he's learned with Guardiola as well, working with him. I, I would actually really like to see Mary play regularly. I think we look a really solid team defensively when he's in the side. Absolutely agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, Mary's an interesting one. It's just like long term. Where does Gabriel fit in? As they're both, they both seem to play left centre back. Yeah, but you can play with two left-footed centre halves. I mean, there's no. I mean, so many teams have played with two right-footed ones for years. So, yeah, I, just, I mean, I imagine neither of them have played there at all in their career. If you're, if you're, if you're a left-footed centre half, I can't imagine you've got much experience. But that's uh, a very uh, valid point. I think it's a. It's, I'd definitely give it a try. Yeah, for me, I would like to see the central midfield position. I, I would almost like Party to pick his partner. You know, I, I think when we've been good this year, it's all stemmed from Party controlling the pace of the game, and it, and it reminds me of there is reminiscing elements of where he looks like a bit of a hybrid of a Vieira and the Petit. He's that classy on the ball like Petit, but he's mm. also that boisterous in in sort of when the opposition are in possession when he's facing them up. He looks like a blend of both of them. And I would just like to say to him, look, who the fuck do you want to play around you? Because you, you pick and, and we'll do what we can to give you all the tools. I, I would like to see Pepe play the lion's share of the next 100 games for Arsenal. And, and I think he would have a, a more significant output than than any of the other players actually in the front line of the squad. I, I feel like he's just got so much ability. And, and he's the closest thing I think we've got to Sanchez where he just really wants to run at people. And he's the first attacking player I think we've had that truly scares top, top defenders. You know, I just think of the way he frightened Robertson and Van Dyke the first time he played them. And when he looks like he might be on, I think he could be a game changer for us. I reluctantly would sell Aubameyang in this window. I'm just not sure that he's overcome the debacle around his contract, the extension, will he or won't he go? And on top of that, obviously, his dear mother getting ill. I just think he needs. I think he needs to change, and also think because he's such a devoted family man. I think football's less important to him. There's so much to say about that, James. You're absolute. I agree with you. I've seen 
nothing. I, I feel for Aubameyang, really. I don't know why, but he's really had a poor season so far. And obviously, the elephant in the Arsenal room at the moment is... I love this little line that I've coined is how do you solve a problem like Saliba, you know? And it's, you know, he, what's happened to like yesterday and today with his, that, that video that's appeared, the way he's gone out and he's really uh, had a go after Arteta. You know, I, I don't you know. It's, it's, I find I'm quite cynical. You know, he has a go at Arteta and, you know, 12 hours later, a video like that's appearing. You know, there's, there's, there's certainly a lot to be said about that potentially. But, you know, he's not getting game time. We've given him no game time. There's so many problems there. I'm just worried about that being a, a problem for Arsenal. Yeah, what do you yeah, think, Frank? Look, I don't want to regret if we sell him and he goes somewhere else and does really well. Uh, but, I mean, look, the guy's a kid. He's. I think we we should probably cut him some slack. Like, he's he's he's, he's 19 He's lost both his parents this summer. And this video, by all accounts, is meant to be from three years ago. So maybe if he's 16, 17 years old. You know, we, when I was 16 or 17, I, I did some stupid things. Um, yeah. So look, I, I'm, I'm willing to cut him some slack. Um, but yeah, like, I, I want to see more. Like, he was meant to be the next Van Dyke or the, the, you know, the next Varane. So like, I, I, I'm with you. I want to see it. I want to just get him on the pitch. Let's see what I see mean, what his, his form at Nice has been, has been phenomenal, quite frankly. So with that that in mind, you know, you're seeing the the on pitch stuff. I mean, let's not forget one of our greatest ever centre backs. Okay, our greatest ever centre back, Tony Adams, did time in prison for drink driving. You know, he he was an alcoholic. He had so many issues himself, gambling and drugs. You know, Paul Merson, another Arsenal player that's had issues. Lots of players in Arsenal Football Club have had issues. You know, put the fire extinguisher down, Ray. All of that sort of joking stuff. <laughs> You know, but with that much included, I think you have to say Saliba's faux pas looks wrong, smells wrong. You know, in a social media world where things are tweeted in a second and 10 million people see them in that very second, we have an issue. You know, back 20 years ago, you wouldn't have had such an issue. You know, he does deserve a chance. You don't drop 30 million on a teenager if they really ain't worth it. No, and, and, and it was such a fight with Spurs as well, our greatest rivals, who who in the last 10 years have been graced with really good centre-backs, really, and they were prepared to drop the coin on him, you know? So, look, I, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I actually quite like his comments against Arteta, to say, look, it's tough for me, I had to train on my own, haven't been given the minutes I wanted, you know, but now I've got now I've got my chance to prove it, and then he's gone and got player of the month at Nice in his first month, and hopefully he continues to put more and more performances in. If there's ever a time for him to come in and get a chance at Arsenal, it will be this year. You've lost Socrates, you've lost Mustafi. Chambers has got a year left on his deal. He doesn't seem to get a look in, albeit Arteta says he likes him. And Louise is out of contract in the summer, so you could see half, you could see four centre backs leave Arsenal in the six, in, a, in a space of six six months. So you know, if ever there's a chance for him to come and up upset the apple cart, and, and like um, Frankie just made the point on the right-footed centre half tends to be someone that's normally always right-footed because a left-footed player would just feel like natural playing on the right side. So. He's only got Louise and Holding to, dis, to, to dismount. Louise is out of contract, and I think personally Holding can be got at. So, yeah, it's an interesting okay. one for him. 
Look, we, we move on. I, I, the transfer window did also finally bring us to the climax um, of Meza Ozil's career at Arsenal. And, and Frankie, we just wanted to find out what you were, what your opinion on Ozil. Were you an Ozil in? Were you an Ozil out? What, how, how did you actually take us back to the summer when you found out that Ozil had been deregistered from the two major competitions Arsenal were in and just whether or not you thought that was the right thing to do or not? Um, I, I, I think from the moment we decided that we didn't want to play with him and we didn't think he could contribute, we should have done what we did in January in the summer. If there wasn't someone that no one was going to buy him, then I think we should have just done what we did um, earlier. Like, would Do I think he could contribute? Yes. The problem is, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Like, if Arteta really doesn't believe, you know, really, like, let's be honest, like, there's probably been three managers now that have not fancied as well towards the end of his career. Four, if you include the German team. Like, yeah. You know, at the end of Wenger's reign, he didn't love Ozil every week, especially in away games at big clubs. Emery certainly didn't get on with Ozil great. And Arteta has now, like, hasn't now. You start to think, who is the problem? And, you know, I, I, I'm willing to back the manager over, over a single player. So, you know, I, I do think that we sh- the club should have just acted earlier and, and got this out of the way. Because I know in my head, the Ozil thing of not being in the team every week towards the end of last season... By the end of last season, it wasn't really a thing for me. I just never expected him to play. So I, I, I just, I just wish the club dealt with it quicker. Yeah, that's a f- fair point. And I think one of them things, though, that is, is that if he is registered, you just, choose, you just say not being. It's easier though. There's no, there's no high, there's no kind of like, like light being shone on the Arsenal hierarchy because. Because he's been deregistered, you know. It's like every time we lose, it's like, well, if Herzl played, you know, but if he's registered and he's not getting picked, it's like, well, he's just not doing what we need him to do in training. I, th- I think the point was, was that it was so short at the start of the season. We didn't have Smith Rowe; uh, he was injured, and you know, we're playing kind of Willock or Willian there, and Willian has flopped to Arsenal with all due respect. So yeah, it's just it's not gone in Arsenal's favour. If Willian had come in and just bossed it, Willock carried on his form of last season and then we had the emergence of Smith Rowe and Saka you know they'd have been like the club are ruthless they got rid of Ozil when they needed to and, and it was a really good decision but I mean I, I just think it's taken the gloss off of some of his Arsenal career and I actually think he was integral to Arsenal kind of stopping that period where they were becoming a bit of a mockery where we were just selling players not buying high ticket players and he and Sanchez were kind of like a, a bit of a watered down version of that kind of Henri Burkamp era where they lifted the club he was probably very unlucky not to win a league title in 15-16 just a complete loss of form by Giroud you know if you look at his statistics that year in 15-16 you know he's contributed to so many goals, Bob, wasn't it? Like 45 goals or something? Uh, Unbelievable numbers. <laughs> you know, the the way he got himself to the number of assists early way through and then that just dropped off. You know, the bloke's contributions for Arsenal were phenomenal, but they dropped off significantly. Yeah, uh, they did. And and, and I, I just try and remember the good. You know, he, he's won three or four FA Cups and... A you know, handful of community shields, which you know Mourinho said that's a major honour now, so we'll take it. Um, <laughs> and um, well, look, I, I, you should have like people just need to. I think you're you're completely right. Like remember the good approach the situation with nuance. Like he was good at Arsenal from 
2014 to 2017. After 2017 to 2018, things weren't as good. And, you know, I think football changed as well. Like from from 2010 to 2014 or 2010 to 2016, teams, you could get away with players that, you know, perhaps didn't track back as much. Whereas now football is so much about pace, power, direct counter-attacking. Is Meza Ozil the best player for that constant game? I don't know. Like, would Ozil do that well in this team? I don't think he would. Like, and That's not because he's not a good player. I just don't think his style of player really exists that much anymore. Like De Bruyne, as much as you know, plays in the attacking midfield, doesn't play in the number 10 position anymore. Like, how many players actually play in the number 10 position? Yeah, it's like an advanced eight now, isn't it? You know, De Bruyne. But, the, but exactly. I don't think it. I don't think it was ever. I mean, from going to deep into the hundreds of games that Özil played at Arsenal, you, you know, it, it was never a case of kilometres travelled where people used to say he was lazy. He he was just my big my biggest issue with him being a complete footballer was his his utter reluctance to contact. You know, it's like there was not even. Yep. He, he could have, bizarrely today's day and age football where you press like was actually how he used to defend but he would press without contact you know it would be so he could press space but if you if you press high and you press intelligently you create a problem then all of a sudden everything goes 100 mile an hour because you either get the opportunity to steal the ball and you've got to go bang 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 you know you know or, or the ball goes out of play and you've just got to think fast and, and some sort of something happens and and I think you're absolutely right his style of football was to completely determine the the pace of play in the final third by getting into pockets and stuff like that and the way teams defend now in such in such disciplined banks of four it's very difficult for a player like that to go and find a pocket of space where they can do all those things but on the flip side of that when the game's got half an hour to close out and fatigue kicks in and both teams are going to try and win games. When there's disparity in a team's shape, then that's kind of when you're looking at it and you think, well, Ozil might do something in this situation. Do you know what I mean? Because he's got that pass that he had the ability to see a pass, much like a Bergkamp, that I think when you've got a full Emirates, 60,000 people don't know what's going on. Only one person does. You just hope that there's some telepathy with, with the person that you intend to receive the ball that they actually know what you're trying to do. But that was the genius of Ozil. Uh, you know, I wish him well at Fenerbahce. I think the club treated him poorly. I think we've treated a couple of players poorly recently. And I don't know whether I think this Erdegaard thing will, will work out. I always want Arsenal to win football games. So I hope anyone in the match day squad has the game of their life to attribute to us taking three points from it. But nine interviews, Twitter press, Instagram press, loads of tweets, loads of Instagrams for a signing that's actually only going to be at the club 150 days and simply a thank you measure tweet in, in Instagram uh, from a guy who had seven I think and Mustafi and a half years actually got, Mustafi got a better farewell than Ozil, if I remember rightly. You know, he had full Edu coming out, congratulating him, thank him, all of that. Socrates got a massive farewell. A lot of... Uh, Bon voyages for those players. But yeah, Ozil, nothing. Uh, I don't even think Willock and Maitland-Niles got as good of good luck messages as, you know, that fuck Mustafi, who, you know, riles me every time I see him on a football pitch for whomever he plays for. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's only that, one player that's ever done that, that much. You know, arguably... And that was Kevin Tuban. Arguably, we gave Czech a salute, you know, for... 
for his career, but you know, his career was all of his achievements were at Chelsea, really. You know, I know he's he's the current golden golden glove holder or or you know all time clean sheet holder of the Premier League. But you know, I think he's only got twenty five or thirty at Arsenal, you know, and like a hundred and twenty at Chelsea. To be given that kind of you know, final game send off and salute and standing ovation sort of thing. It just, it it just feels like there's a bit of a disparity there, you know. But obviously, you can't do those sorts of things. But th- but that would never have happened with Meza anyway. You know, they were never they were never going to give him kind of like a a guard of honour for his career at Arsenal and and probably bar Van Persie and Fabregas. You know, he he might just be the most decorated player of the Emirates era. For sure. For sure. Anyway, right. Valentine's Day massacre or, or romance again at the Emirates leads on Valentine's Day, Frank. I'm, I'm, I won't keep you much longer because <laughs> your uh, your girlfriend's probably throwing daggers at me. Now we've run over a little well, bit. It's, but... it's funny actually. She's a she's a Leeds fan. So oh, really, it should be this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. This is the most amazing thing. What a week to have you on. Your missus. <laughs> what? So this, so who, this star, God, I, I wish I knew this earlier. I'd have had a full-on repertoire ready for this. So, so t- Valentine's Day, you're going to be having a candlelit supper just as Arsenal unfold versus Leeds. You know, it depends what Arsenal turn up. If it's the proper Arsenal that we've had since Christmas, then it could be a great game. Leeds looked great last night, got some good players. They do. Full of, they're great attacking Leeds. A lot of people give them that credit. But I reckon we can smash them. But I also reckon if Uncle Fluffy Arsenal turns up, we could get absolutely brutalised. We've got Leno back. By all accounts, yep. we're going to have every single centre-back to choose from. Parties apparently fit. Rumours of KT being okay. That's more of a fatigue injury. You know, so we're getting to that stage where everyone's available. So we turn up, we play. Think, good luck, Leeds. We'll thump you. However, yeah, no. which is not good for you, Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it'll be a good game. Like, the, the as you said, Leeds are a really good side. Like they're they're the way they and uh, it's been done to death. But the way they've come up and actually been a breath of fresh air to the Premier League, they're one of the few teams I actually find really enjoyable to watch. Thankfully, I have. You know, I get to watch them a lot more than than other teams, but you know, they're they're completely rip up. They've completely ripped up the rules on how you how you get how you play in the Premier League once you get promoted. And and I've really enjoyed watching them. They're you know, Marcelo Bielsa, he's got the most out of some really fucking average players. Like Luke Ayling is not a Premier League footballer, plays like a Premier League footballer. You well, know, Luke I, Ayling, I think, really side. A, I think he was obviously an Arsenal youth player. He was an Arsenal. Um, yeah, and yes. know, almost an Arsenal reject, really. I mean, never getting his first team chance. But I, I'm, I'm going to let you finish that sentence because I assume you're going to talk about um, another player as well who uh, was a Premier League reject. I can't, I can't think of who you're thinking of. But uh, Patrick Bamford probably. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's turned it around, and he's, he, I know he missed that really uh, hilarious chance against Palace. But he looks brilliant. Like you know, they signed Rodrigo for thirty million, and he's actually done okay. But like Bamford just looks like a like. He plays exactly how Marcelo Bielsa wants him to play. Um, and that's why he, he plays every week. Like we might, you know, people laugh at him a lot of the time when he was the, in the championship. And, you know, Leeds fans, from what I've heard, always gave Patrick Bamford a lot of stick. But like this season, he shut everyone up. Like there's no, there's no getting away from that. Like he's been brilliant. And I think Arsenal Leeds is going to be a fantastic game because the two teams and, and kind it's of what I was saying game. earlier against it was the Villa game, 
I think we're two quite similar level teams and I think it's going to be a close game but it could be 1-0 it could be 2-0 it could be 5-4 like, it's, it's, a, it's a completely unpredictable game for me it's a massive game so Leeds are currently sitting in 10th place of 22 games played so obviously played 22 won 10 drawn 2 lost 10 goal difference of dead on 0 32 points Arsenal just behind them in 11 played one game more won 9 drawn 4 lost 10 goal difference of plus four. You know, Arsenal need to win that game just to go above Leeds, the 10th. That's the highest Arsenal could achieve. Yeah, I need that. But you've got, South, <laughs> you've got Southampton, Southampton Palace just behind Arsenal. If they both win, you could see Arsenal being 13th place. For sure. 13th place on February the 14th. I mean, you know I mean, what? I mean Bamford, um, I, I, I saw an, on that point on Bamford, I saw an interesting point uh, Darren Bent made and he said some players from experience because he played in it some players' games just don't operate in the championship. It, people, because it's underneath the Premier League, people just assume it's the Premier League, you know, watered down. But it's two completely different styles of football. The intensity in the championship is something different. And he said some people's games just don't completely flourish in the championship, but that doesn't mean they're not Premier League footballers. You know, and he scored 12 goals in his first Premier League season for Leeds. 12 and 22, you know, it's better than a one in two return. That's, you know, that's pretty good going, you know. That, that, that surpasses any Arsenal goal scorer this season. I think Lacazette's maybe got 10 or 11. So, he's, you know, he's outscored all of our players. I agree with you. Um, I, I have to watch it closely as well, Frank. My wife's sister's uh, husband-to-be, so my brother-in-law, is, is a massive Leeds fan. I mean, and he will be cooking my WhatsApp all day on... Um, <laughs> Um, on Valentine's Day, like literally giving it to me gun hopes. You already did thinking that like, they probably outplayed us. We grew one all with them, didn't we, earlier on in the season? But or was it nil nil? Um, but he, you know, um, they, they they outplayed us and probably deserve more like more deserving of the, of a win in that game. Yeah, I, I'm pretty. I, I'm like you, Frank. To be honest, I'm sitting on my hands a little bit, and I'm just going to be a little bit kind of skewiff in the corner and just hope we kind of meander through it with um, with any any too much upset. The reverse fixture was obviously the infamous Pepe headbutt game. Yes, with Alioski. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. So do you know, I just want you know Arsenal. <laughs> You know, if Arsenal get beat and they turn up, you, you know, you you just go home and you say we got beat by the better team. It's when they don't turn up and they lose that you just walk away thinking that you've missed out on something. You're hard done by, you know, you're lacking in something. Arsenal turn up and play well and get beat or play half decent and get beat. Fair play. But most of the games in the last few weeks, Southampton went down with a whimper in the cup game, a whimper. You know, the second half, the way that sending off followed by the Arteta substitution popped us like a balloon. I went down with a whimper yet again. You know, Vida this weekend started off like we, you know, we were still in bed, you know, mm. and it's just the rock. That's what I don't want to see. If we go out and get smashed or we play a proper game of football, like how we played against Liverpool and got beat 3-1. Liverpool battered us earlier on in the season, but I thought we played half decent against them. You know, you could disagree with me, but we played half decent and we got beat. Fair enough. That's acceptable. But some of the losses recently, you know, you know, we had a, a similar run of form just after the United game. We had a good, we started off playing some nice football. We were contending for top four. 
we get to the stage, we play Villa, we play Wolves, we play Burnley, we play Leeds. Next thing you know, you're staring at an Arsenal relegation dogfight. <laughs> I think we're in that same run of games again. You know, if Arteta can't, if, I, if we don't win at the weekend, we're not in a relegation dogfight, don't get me wrong, because we played some good football. We'll play that football again this season. But we must win this weekend just for morale, just to, to believe in Arsenal Football Club a little bit. Because a failure to, to win, and I include a draw in that, I think such a bad result for us at home. Well, let's, let's, let's move on to the last part of the show then. And let's do predictions. I am going to go one all. And Lack- I'm gonna, I said to you last week, Bob, I'll keep saying Lacazette will score until he does. So one all, Lacazette is the scorer. Bob? Oh, I'm going to go 2-1 to Arsenal. I'm going for this. 2-1 to Arsenal. And he's going to atone for what happened last time round, and Nicola Pepe will score. And Frank? Um, well, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll Frank, Frank, before, before you say, make sure the door's shut. Make sure the door's shut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go for a happy household, and I'm going to say 2-2. Two, two. Desmond? <laughs> yeah, I think, that would, I think everyone would be happy. Certainly my household would be happy. Nice. Who would score, Frank? You got a goal scorer? Uh, I think I think you're right on on the money with the Pepe shout. I think he, I think he's going to come back and 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 score. I'd like to see Aubameyang score. To be honest, I think he needs it. He, he yeah. looked like he actually did, you know, kind of get that uh, get a few goals, and he, he obviously had the the unfortunate situation with his mother. So yeah, I hope he he finds the net again. Nice, like it. All right, well we've covered the load off, Frank. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you uh, will come and join us again in the uh, in the near future. It's, uh, it's been sure. really good to have you. Yeah, lovely. And uh, Bob, it's as always, pleasure. I have enjoyed you. So, um, look, all the best. Have a lovely week. Roses and flowers everywhere. Arsenal on Valentine's Day. I've been Jim. I've been Bob. All the best, guys. Thank you.